experience on the fire ground is vital, but the, the one thing that I feel that suffers the most is the non-emergency aspects of being an officer, the, the leadership skills, the mentorship skills, and administrative duties, just overall attitude. Those are the things that we strive to cover a lot in, in our, our own Officer Candidate Academy. Angeles. This is Code 3, the Firefighters Podcast, hosted by award-winning journalist Scott Orr. Now, here's Scott. That's right, and I will not let Parkinson stop me. Thank you for joining me today for another edition of Code 3. This is the show that gives you all the information on a firefighting topic that you need in about 20 minutes. Let's get started. There's a lot of advice floating around that explains what a firefighter needs to do to get promoted to an officer position. And there's also quite a bit about leadership and what to do once you are promoted. On this edition of the show, we're going to look at a couple of different sides of the promotion equation. First, how to prepare yourself for a promotion, and then what impact on the department promotions can have. Both are important and both are often overlooked. My guest to discuss these topics is Paul Waddlington. He's the Battalion Chief of Training for the Burlington, North Carolina Fire Department. Paul is also a member of the Yanceyville Volunteer Fire Department. He has 22 years of experience in the fire service and has many certifications from the National Fire Academy and the North Carolina Office of the State Fire Marshal. And Paul Wallington joins me now. Welcome back to Code 3. Hey, Scott. Thanks for having me once again, man. Enjoyed the conversation we had on our last uh, show. Uh, Looking forward to talking to you again today. Good deal. It's good to have you back. So there are two kinds of preparations for new officers in the department. What the candidate does and how the department reacts to new leadership. Let's look at the candidate first. Do candidates for officer positions really spend enough time preparing for the job? I think the the preparation is there, but uh, I guess the question, the biggest question is, is it effective? The preparation and development goes you know, beyond controlled environments and, and, and extends well beyond the, the point of you being promoted to officer. You know, we can hold uh, mock interview panels, perform live fire scenarios, uh, use simulators and sit in leadership classes. And, but the, the mentorships and write-up programs and development courses uh, really prove to work great as well you know, when we provide those. It all needs to start early, though. Uh, we, we can't wait until the projected officer opening is coming up to start preparing to be an officer. You know, building that culture of development in your department is key. You know, and that starts with just being an advocate for leaders in your department, being an advocate for empowerment and, and uh, making sure that uh, we vow- the, the value of, of our employees is evident. We don't need members <laughs> to feel intimidated or pressured to move up. They need to see the value and prestige and honor of being an officer. Uh, they need to embrace that challenge of being in that role and, and uh, need to need to see the benefit of being an officer. And all of that just takes time. As I pointed out, a lot of candidates for officer have read books on leadership and what they should do once they get the job. But what should they be doing 
before the opening is announced. So they'll be ready when it is announced. You know, one of the biggest things that I see is uh, many, many aspiring officers, because they have had that time in, in other ranks, are tactically sound. You know, they've, they've been around. They've seen their officers operate. You know, and those decision-making skills improve over time by watching their officers and simply just being part of the tactics, uh, maybe in other roles, but they're still involved and they still see those decisions made. Experience on the fire ground is vital, but the, the one thing that I feel that suffers the most is the non-emergency aspects of being an officer, the, the leadership skills, the mentorship skills, and administrative duties like you know, communications, reporting, handling personnel issues, uh, just overall attitude. Those are the things that we strive to cover a lot in, in our, our own Officer Candidate Academy that we, we run here in Burlington. And we hold that once a year for aspiring officers as some of that supplementation, some of that preparation uh, that we give our officers before they get thrown in that hot seat so they can kind of get a feel of what's expected. Uh, and there's some that will move through the ranks with, with a little lack of sound tactical leadership or decision making. But, you know, they're sometimes... They're, they're sometimes the quickest aspects of the job to catch up on pretty quick. Now, you mentioned an officer academy. Recruits in most departments get those. They might be one day, they might be a week. What should a good officer academy teach these people ahead of time? I think it needs to be a healthy dose of, of some tactics and, and some uh, you know of the administrative decision-making, too. I, I kind of break those two up into tactical decision-making and administrative decision-making. Um, you know, of course, there's a lot more to it than that. But you know, the, the administrative side of the job is, and I guess one of the biggest, like I said in my earlier statement, one of the biggest things that suffers the most. But uh, I think an officer candidate academy, for, for example, ours uh, is kind of a hybrid. We do run online at your pace version. However, we also run a uh, face-to-face version of it, too. And it's a good, healthy dose of administrative and, uh, and, and the tactical aspects of, of the, the job. You know, mentorship training, uh, leadership training, management training, tactical training, uh, some of the just a handful of the, the tactics that we use uh, on scene. And, and those as an officer role, making decisions using those tactics versus uh, necessarily being the implementer of them. It sounds like what you're saying is that the people who've been working as firefighters already have a pretty good idea of how to say a size up over the radio. But they probably don't have as much experience with the administrative role that they'll be playing. Is that fair? Yes, that's 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 uh, that's accurate. Uh, you know, and from what I'm seeing, what can we do to make sure that they understand that that administrative half of the job is it half or is it more or less? I guess it's just a healthy mixture. I mean, it depends on you know what uh, what fire districts you're working in. You know, the makeup of your districts. Uh, you know, one department may not run a lot of medical calls. One may run 70 to 80 percent medical calls one department may live i mean may work in a district that is predominantly fires where it's not as much not as many vehicle accidents i don't know what call volumes are just it's, it's everything has to be customized to your department you know and your resources uh what your needs are based off of a needs assessment a capabilities assessment uh you know they're important find out through drills and and uh, performance testing you know where are your officers lacking where where are your members that are aspiring officers what do they need to be more successful and then customize your officer candidate academy based on your needs as a department when you run these academies what sort of missing pieces do you typically notice 
What do they not know that they should? A lot of it's policy, just because policy is normally not pulled out red unless something has happened. You know, a lot of times, uh, one of the, some of the most most positive feedback that we've gotten from our academies is, wow, I didn't know that. I didn't realize that was already in place. You know, for an example, you know, I, I tell my the members at our department, you know, when we were kind of selling this aspect of the uh, Officer Candidate Academy, you know, if you're an officer and you're sitting at the kitchen table with your crew and and one of the crew members asks you to explain the workers' comp, you know, program or plan at your department or for your municipality or county, you know, you should be able to answer those questions. When, they, when a, a firefighter comes to you and says, hey, can you explain the EAP program? Uh, you know, how do I implement this EAP program? How do I, you know, start this? You know, you should be able to answer those questions. You are the one that your firefighters are looking up to, to pretty much be the, the fix to the problems. And, you know, many of them you won't be able to fix, but you know, there's those little things are, are, are what I see a lot of that is the missing pieces of the puzzle. The company officer's role in, in mentoring and setting up a system or setting up a plan for the future of their firefighter or engineer, whoever's there, based on what their goals are, being part of their success. Uh, some of those things are some of the missing pieces that I think uh, many aspiring officers don't really uh, think about as much when everything seems to be driven more tactical. All right, let's look at the receiving end of the promotion, which is the department. The newer crop of officers just getting into position grew up in a time when structure fires aren't as common as they once were. So what's the impact of having so many new officers with less experience fighting real-world fires? I don't think it's a negative impact but it is an impact. I mean, it's a challenge for leadership to a department or in a department to to recognize this and do something to improve it. I mean, going back to the what I mentioned about the capabilities assessment, you know, we have to be more of an advocate for training and development, outside education, mentorships. Uh, you know, if your department allows or utilizes write, write-up programs, um, you know, that's that's awesome. In an earlier podcast that I actually listened to with you and uh, Kelly Lemons, uh, you know, he mentioned that. And that's, that's a great tool if you can make that happen, the write-up program. You know, explore what options you have to supplement that lack of, of firefighting experience. I mean, if fire service is collectively young, so I'm, you, you're naturally going to have young officers. Hiring ages are as low as 18 years old now. You know, with eight to 10 years of experience on the job, now we have lieutenants and captains that are in their 20s. And that's okay. I mean, I'm personally not interested in your time and rank. I'm interested in your preparation levels and your capabilities and what you've done in that period of time. Well, that's kind of the problem, isn't it? I mean, if you're talking about a a boomer or a Gen X person who's been an officer for a while, when he or she got into the job, it was probably after seeing a lot more examples of real-world fires. What quality difference does that make in their leadership? Are they still learning while they're while they're leading? I, I think so. You know, it reminds me of we had a, a veteran captain come into the station one day to visit, and and I actually sat down with that individual and asked him what made your leaders, the leaders that you considered leaders, what made them leaders. And uh, one of the the biggest takebacks for that for me was he mentioned. We just naturally trusted one another. You know, we watched every move that our officers and leaders made, and we, we bought into it. They just had this natural way of getting us to buy into everything that they wanted to do. And, 
it just all made sense. And they were very good communicators and they explained everything when we asked questions. And, you know, they were quick to tell you when you didn't need to know something, but they also included you on the things that you did. And it was just a different approach to it. You know, we're still having fires. I mean, I, I don't want a lot of people to think that, you know, the new firefighters in today's society is not, are not seeing the fires that the older firefighters did. It's just that the, the everyday daily routines have changed. I mean, we have so many other, I guess, tasks to complete during a, a daily activity. Uh, you know, back years ago when many fire departments didn't run medical calls um, where they are now, I mean, the call volumes have tremendously increased. You're having a, a lack of availability or lack of time to train when you're on calls you know, 20, 30 responses a day, you know, so that's, that's played a big part in it too. But, you know, there's always room for improvement, always room for growth. And, and uh, even with the Gen Xs that are here, this multi-generational era right now is an example of room to improve for those that are already in leadership roles. You know, there's a lot of misconceptions and misunderstandings on both parts, but showing that the new generation coming in, the, the, the Gen Xs or, or, the older style leaderships, uh, you know, may have to be tweaked just a little to be able to match the needs in, you know, of the new generation coming in. Well, since you touched on it, let's go there next. How different is the leadership style of Gen Xers or Millennials from the retiring generation? We've heard a lot of things about how Millennials work. How do they lead? Again, we're definitely in a multi-generational era. And I think, like I've mentioned earlier about those misunderstandings or misconceptions on both sides, you know, a lot of the different generations like to pin the problem on another generation when that's not necessarily the case. The problem, I think, is the adaptation of the multi-generational services. There are leaders in all generations. Uh, we just have to understand how to recognize that and build on it. In many cases, like the Gen X leadership, Gen X leadership is in place leading Gen, you know, Generation Y, Generation Zs. And, uh, you know, that has the opportunity to go south if it's not understood. Uh, you know, there's a learning adjustment opportunity from the top to the bottom and back back up. Leaders in organizations, you know, should embrace that new generation rather than consider them a hurdle. Um, you know, understanding what drives them and what brings, you know, what they bring to the table is vital. The Gen Zs, they, they, they want to be engaged in their own success. They want, they want you to be engaged in it. They want to know why. They want to communicate. Um, you know, social media and technology is their wheelhouse. Uh, you know, we should embrace that and find the strengths in it and build on it. Um, you know, they, they want to be empowered. Embrace that as well. Uh, leadership and departments have their own changes uh, to make to adapt to some of these uh, multi-generational uh, situations. So when you look back at the current generation of leaders and how they came in and changed the face of the fire service. What do you think the change will look like from Gen Z or millennials? How will they make the fire service look different than it does now if you could use your crystal ball? <laughs> crystal ball. Um I think um, I mean, there will obviously be positive changes and things will transition. You know, the Gen Xs uh, with particular leadership styles, not that they're bad, you know, they will be retiring out and you will have a new generation of firefighters who, you know, uh, look at all of the aspects of the job a little bit different, you know, from public education, uh, tactics or tactics. I mean, that's, that's really not much room to change there as far as uh, the fact that we're responding to fires, but uh, the, the technological side of things and, 
you know, leadership will change, but the technological side of things is what's going to probably be the biggest impact or, or have the biggest change. You know, I see many manufacturers already going ahead and preparing manufacturers of all kinds of, um, you know, fire service equipment from, you know, apparatus all the way down to tools, uh, already preparing for this new generation to take over um, the fire service. And, and um, you know, they're, everything is technologically driven. Uh, it's nothing, nothing as simple as it used to be anymore. But, uh, you know, and that's a learning curve for all of us uh, older folks that are in the fire service that are still hanging around. Um, you know, we're having to learn this information just as well. So, I mean, I think, I think that um, there will be, uh, you know, positive changes moving forward. Uh, the, the Gen X, the Gen Ys, or the new generation of, uh, of firefighters, they're going to make it their own, and, and, and it will, uh, you know, continue to thrive and continue to succeed. Yeah, you know, when I was at Firehouse World even a couple of years ago, there was a, an apparatus manufacturer who was very proud of their pump panel because it could be operated from an iPad. And they said, today's firefighters are going to love this. And I thought, yeah, they might, they probably will. But to me, that was kind of a strange thing to be using to promote your apparatus. Not that technology was better, which it might be, but that the firefighters were going to like it more. The technological side of things is uh, everything looks attractive, right? Everything's new. Uh, anytime you can put a computer screen on something or anytime you can put buttons on something, uh, it just makes it more attractive in the ease of use. That's what you know. a lot of the new generation wants is immediate satisfaction of knowing that something works and that where it does not. There's not really much time for troubleshooting in, in, in many of them's mind you know, to, to work through. I mean, it, all of that, like I said, all of those technological advances uh, seem to be setting up for the new generation of the firefighters. Uh, you know, you go to a lot of old firefighters, especially on the pump panel and, you know, uh, hey, here's a pressure governor or, hey, here's a manual throttle truck. Which one do you want? Oh, I want the manual throttle truck because I know I have all of Because I know how it yeah, works. Yeah, I know how it works. And I got full control over the throttle on the truck and it's all in my hands. I don't want to rely on technology, whereas the new generation does want to rely on technology. They like to pick things out and, and be able to go through it and get the most use out of it, whereas you're not going to see that much uh much of that with older generation. Okay, I don't want to sound too negative here, but, you know, there's definitely a group of older firefighters who would suggest that millennials are part of the everybody gets a trophy generation or the participation trophies. Is that going to affect how they're going to lead? How will it affect how they're going to lead? I don't think it's necessarily a participation trophy issue or, or everybody wants. To, I, I think it's, uh, you know, the new generation wants to be recognized for their achievements. And that's OK. You know, I think think that's important and it's appropriate. You know, they feed off of the pat on the back. They need to know that they're doing a good job because they may not understand or may not be doing things uh, like the older generation did or expected them is expecting them to do at the time. But, you know, that's okay. We just, uh, some of us older ones, uh, we're, we're not used to that. We're used to pack the hose on the truck, get back to the fire station, clean it up. There, there's not, not a whole lot of pats on the back. There's not a whole lot of critiques where, Everybody is told how good of a job they did. And, you know, that, but this newer generation, you know, it, they need that. They want that. And, and that's okay. Uh, so I don't think it's necessarily a participation trophy problem or, or issue. I think it's just recognizing 
recognizing good things, uh, on the spot recognition, maybe in the form of, uh, you know, ceremonies, stuff like that. You know, that's not a bad thing. It sounds like it's just an adjustment, not a major change in how things, a major shift in how things are done. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. It's an adjustment. It's an adjustment from it, uh, you know, from from each generation to another. And just like I mentioned earlier, this uh, multi generational uh, fire service uh, is just uh, it, it, everyone has room to grow and learn from one another, and you know, to be able to coexist. That's the key. All right. Well, we'll see how it turns out. It sounds like we have reason to be optimistic. Paul Wallington, thanks for talking with me today. Yes, sir, Scott. I appreciate you uh, having me again. Look forward to talking to you soon. And there's more information on the topic of preparing for promotion on our website at code3podcast.com slash ready. Take a look. If you're still listening, congratulations. You're officially a hardcore fan of Code 3. Now, may I make a suggestion? If you're up for it, you can become a patron of the show and offer your financial support. You can make a monthly donation to Code 3, and if it's $10 a month or more, you'll get access instantly to the Code 3 Bull Sessions. Those are extras from some interviews, material that didn't make the cut in the show. But it's interesting all the same, and you'll enjoy it. Just go to Code3Podcast.com slash support, and you'll find the information you need to become a Code 3 patron. Thanks for your support, and thanks for listening. All right, that's it. That's all for this edition of Code 3. Thank you for being here. I'll be back next time with more, and I hope you'll join me. I'm Scott Orr, and until then, stay safe. To contact us, get more information on today's show, or to subscribe to the podcast, go to Code3Podcast.com.